Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Good morning, everybody. All right. Wow. It is uh, always good to be with you, and I, I just, I just really love doing this. I, I had an opportunity this weekend um, when I uh, was in church, and the and the pastor was, you know, uh, giving his message, and in the message he was talking about several narratives from the Old Testament, and and he did a great job, but we didn't necessarily agree on some of the nuances, especially in the life of David when he when he did a general overview and i got to give him a lot of grace on that because it is tough to do a general overview of the life of david but he mentioned saul and some of saul's struggles and i actually you know it was it was good for me cuz i was like mm, you know do i agree not 100% but he did have a couple good points and i thought no I'll, that's that's good that's good and that's that goes back to my point about about why the narratives are so important is because we are designed and called by God to reason together, to come together and have conversation around his word. We're not called to come together and put forth a reasonable argument to win, to, to show the world that we're right. It's, that's not how it's done. Jesus, Jesus said you come together, you reason together, and you show the world love. It's by your love, by your unity, it's by your kindness that it'll draw people to God. That's what this. That's why we're supposed to come together and have conversation. That's why it's okay not to agree. Some of you may be listening to this and and you're thinking, ah, you know, some of this is good, but I don't I don't agree that you know that Bob that with, with Bob on on this point. Like I don't think. I think God is filled with wrath. I think that periodically he does lose his mind and start killing people. And he has every right to because he's the only righteous judge in the universe. And if he wipes out an entire nation, including women and children, then then that's okay. I'm a, I've am i got to be okay with that. And if he chooses to kill me, then he kills me and and I'm okay with that. And you know what? I I do understand the process to which you come to that conclusion. I was there for years. As I've said before, my adjustment began when I started to look at the life of Jesus as a picture of the Father, which is what Jesus said he was. And I started to apply that to the Old Testament rather than rather than separate it and say, well, God's character was like this in the Old Testament, and now it's like this in the New Testament because Jesus is the new covenant, and the new covenant is better than the old covenant, and and it and it replaced it. When, when in my cultural studies, I realized that covenants don't replace each other. They enhance each other. And so I just, I had, I had some reasonable doubt that was starting to seep in to this whole separation of, of God and God. I, I had to, I had to do something with that. And I did. And my journey on that, you can ask me about, and then we can go into it maybe on a separate podcast, but, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I we'll, we'll do yeah we do bonus ones if you haven't if you didn't know that already if you haven't signed up to receive podcasts yet uh, I interact with the emails that I get I choose a few of them and we do uh, like a Thursday release of me just kind of talking through some of the questions that I get so feel free to send those questions and uh, and then tune in again or sign up for alerts, uh, notifications, and you'll get notified when I release something. But it's usually on a Thursday. And I so appreciate uh, my producer for doing that. I really, really do. He, he volunteers uh, all of his time. And when he tells me what he's doing, like, like it, it blows my mind because he speaks a language I really don't understand. I really, really don't. I remember when I started this process – and and actually he he volunteers because he was one of the ones who really encouraged me to go this direction and and to start putting this you know recording what I what I teach he was like he was like just just record it i'll take care of the rest and that to me sounded relatively easy and then when he describes what he does i think oh my gosh i could never do that like this is not just record it and it happens it actually takes a lot of work 
on his part. On my part, it's just fun, which I, which is probably, I guess he has fun too. Like with all of the reading that I do and the notes that I take and the references that I go back and forth on. And the, I mean, I just, I read like crazy when I, when I prepare for these things, history books, archeology span books, uh, philosophy books, theology books, uh, uh, rabbinical teachings, uh, evangelical teachings. It's, it's, for me, it's fun. And I guess he's having fun too. But anyways, I really appreciate what he does and, and God bless him. All right. Now on to the show. We left off a second Samuel chapter two. We saw that, that David was really stepping into diplomacy and the protection of, of, the tribe of Judah, the southern tribes, and and also some of the outlying areas where he was committing himself as king of Judah. He was committing himself to, uh, you know, a role that involved more than just warfare, and that's that's tough to do, because most people who are really good at war aren't good at diplomacy. They just know how to knock things down and burn things up. Now. Uh, along with that, now coinciding, like at the same time, we also have the house of Saul being led by Saul's cousin, Abner. And they moved the capital city, they moved it uh, away from the Philistines, across the river, about 35 miles away from the former capital city of Gibeah. So Abner has taken over the role of leading What's le- you know what was left of the nation? Philistines took over the capital city of Gibeah. They took over all the surrounding villages and towns that they wanted. Uh, the the national army had run and had regrouped and then crossed the River Jordan. And Abner set up camp basically uh, over there. David went into Judah. They uh, they. Again, this was not a quick, you know, like an immediate decision, but but probably within a month or so, they crowned him king. They all knew he was anointed king, so they crowned him king. They they swore their loyalty to the house of David. And Abner's over there on the other side. So we we gather the information we need. Uh, before I go forward in this chapter, we need to look at the first verse of chapter 3 because because the first verse of tra- chapter 3 gives us this umbrella mindset to look over this the seven years that we're covering. And again, we're talking seven years. So there's a ton of day-to-day activities, logistical, governmental, diplomatic, uh, sometimes uh, military, lots of trade, lots of marketing, lots of growth, lots of all kinds of stuff that goes on in the house of, of David, in the government of Judah, in being king and setting himself up. This is this is where we have to remember that sometimes it takes a sometimes it takes a long time for the timing of God to be right. For the word of the Lord. (laughs) That's such a great Christian phrase, right? Welcome to Christianese 101. The word of the Lord. It takes a long time for the word of the Lord to to come to fullness. And we talked about that a little bit, I think, last podcast, where so many people try to push that timing. They just get excited. I don't blame them for being excited, and it's not sinful or wrong for them to push it. It's just the end result. They they bear the reward. you know the the reward of pushing it, and sometimes that it actually hurts them. It hurts the longevity because their preparation wasn't as as uh, complete as it could have been, and the people or the organization or whatever sometimes w- was not set up with the proper foundational experiences and wisdom to to make it last long term. And many people have learned from that. Many people have you know they bounce back so to. Sp- so to speak, they they find another avenue. They if they don't get discouraged, right? God God is still there. It's not like God's like, okay, I've, I'm abandoning you. Although, if you go way back to previous podcasts, you know that Saul struggled with that. He often felt abandoned by God because of the the rude 
the rudeness of Samuel, which, of course, I think tied into Samuel's offense because he thought he was being replaced by God and he was rejected by God. It's it's that that little lie that you can be rejected by God. Man, the devil just he just does some horrible stuff with that in people's lives. The enemy just knows how to make that lie sound really, really true. And he and he ties it into experiences, right? Because when you when you believe something to be true, your mind will find evidence for it. It's called the reciprocate RPI, I think it's called RP. Anyway, some of you know what it is, and you're probably hopefully emailing me right now, Bob. This is what you're trying to say, and you're probably right, and I agree with you. So let's move on. You'll find evidence for the lies you believe. You'll also find evidence for the truth you believe. If you believe that God loves you and his goodness is always with you and and all you need to do is increase your awareness of it, you'll find it. Oh, my goodness. And that's a fabulous place to live. I do that more and more and more, and it is awesome. It is awesome. On a side note, you do have to be careful about telling people how wonderful life is because sometimes they're not ready to hear it. And when you tell them that, that their life is actually going really well and they feel like it sucks, you can get you you know, you, you can be offensive. You don't want to be offensive. But also remember that light is often offensive, especially to darkness, right? Darkness <laughs> Darkness definitely feels like light is an is an offense to it. And it's true, it is. It pushes it away. And it uh, but it also replaces it with love. So the rooms, the impact in the room is positive. And that's the difference between love showing up in darkness and wrath showing up in darkness the way most people look at God, right? They look at God, God's light. And, and I think I really, I really, okay, see, you're already going to get my basic answer to this. I think that the, that the impact of light in darkness is described as wrath by people in that that translated the Bible. So when God shows up in the culture of Noah, his light looks like wrath. It looks like the whole world was destroyed by God, but it wasn't. His light showed up and provided a way for rescue, and sin destroyed the earth because that's what sin does. It always brings death. Oh, man, Bob, you just opened up another huge narrative. You opened up Noah. I know, which is why I'm going to do Genesis next. After this year or so of David, <laughs> we'll get into Genesis. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to try and get get Genesis next. It, you know, do a year of David, then do a year of Genesis. And she looked at me and she said, There's, Joseph alone will take you a year. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're probably right. Maybe Genesis might be a two-year project. <laughs> oh, I'm not short on material, that's for sure. So I hope uh, hope those of you that are enjoying it are enjoying it. Who knows? Maybe maybe if if there's enough people that like this, maybe we'll we'll do Genesis and we'll do two a week, and maybe we will get it done in a year. I don't know. I don't know. So many variables in all this because this is our first time running this through. So. I'm guessing by episode 26, we probably have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Now we're doing episode 27, and and we'll, we're making adjustments for the future. But currently, because I've pre-recorded all these things, we can't make adjustments on the fly. So I'll tell you about it on my extra podcast, the adjustments we're making and how, how Genesis is coming along. And now we're off of Noah and back into the story of David. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to WIMP Radio. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, all right, all right. Where where am I? <laughs> I do not know where I went. Oh, how do I backtrack that rabbit trail? Oh yes. So Abner's over running things in a in a, a little town called Mahananam. <laughs> it's kind of like uh. We'll just call it Manhattan. It's over there on the other side of the river. David's in Judah, 
And and the verse, the first verse of chapter three continues, right? It says the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time, seven years. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So the reason why we're getting this picture of the battle, this one battle, that that it's an illustration. Remember, the Bible's written as an outline. So this one battle is picked out of seven years of warfare, civil war between these two houses. Because it 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 lets us know what had been going on. It lets us it introduces us to several characters that play key roles in the future and in the diplomacy and governance of David. So we need to know these characters and we need to know um, we need to know what happens. So the house of David is getting stronger and stronger. And in the next verse in, in chapter three, which is not where we're at today, but it goes on to describe six sons that David has be, from his three wives uh, that he probably picked up the third one when he became king of, of Judah. They probably gave him a, a daughter from one of the lead elders or something like that. So he picked up six sons in seven years. So visually, people would interpret that to mean that, quote, oh, I put these are air quotes. I know you can't see me. But if enough people like the podcast, who knows? Maybe we'll go visual next next round. Anyways, air quotes. The, the favor of God is on David because David keeps having sons. And men, sons, men were considered more valuable than females to the culture, not to God, but to the culture. So visually, the people of Judah are looking at this and they're, they're interpreting this to mean God is with them and and not with the house of Saul. The, the northern tribes are looking at this, those that are following the house of, of Saul and, and giving their kids, their men, their boys over to Abner to, in a, you know, their attempt to retake the land from David so that he's not king. This, this whole tribal warfare, civil war thing that's going on they keep looking at the sons that David are having, and it looks like David is is doing well, right? We never see it. We, we never. I know that's a big word. We don't see in Scripture any time that the Philistines come up against the house of David. They don't attack Judah. I think that's probably because of David's diplomacy. David worked things out. He had enough of a relationship with Akish. He had enough of a relationship with the various elders, rulers, family, heads, heads of family in, in the Philistine country, that while he was king of Judah, he was able to keep Judah protected from further raids and attacks from the Philistines. Now, that's not, you know, that doesn't stay forever, but it does for now. Uh, it's probably a precarious balancing, one of those Diplomatic things that occur, and but there's people on both sides that aren't happy about it. But David knew that he had to keep, you know, he had to protect his people, the people that were depending on him. He also knew that that God's ultimate plan was for him to oversee the whole nation. And so he he had to be diplomatic in the way that in the way that they would do civil war. He didn't just go and attack the northern tribes. He would be called into battle by Abner, and they would they would uh, they would like they would they would respond and meet Abner for battle. Abner's goal is to take out David's army, his military, so that they can move in and he can establish the kingdom again under Saul's name. Now, what we know is that is that Abner ran things, oversaw the military. Therefore, it was kind of like a military government. It, it, it's very similar to what would happen if there was a military coup. The general just becomes the automatic president. So in, in essence, Abner was the king, even though in name he was not. And after five years, Abner put the youngest son, 
of Saul in charge. Now his name was a ship. We talked about him like Shibabeth. Shibabeth. We call him Ishi. He put Ish in charge for the last couple of years uh, before, and we'll get into that uh, in the next chapter because that's where we see that transition. But currently, Abner's in charge. Abner is is trying to keep keep in charge. He's also trying to take on the tribe of Judah and the and and dethrone David from his from his throne so that there's only one house of the king and that's the house of Saul and Ashibabeth is that is that next king. Although Abner's yet to put him in charge because I think because Abner knows that this guy his reputation that we know from reading history and culture is that he was just he was just uh, I I don't know I don't know the culturally correct word to use but we would call him weak a very weak leader it was it was he just he couldn't he had no backbone he had no understanding he didn't want to know what was going on he just liked the benefits of being in charge. He liked being a prince. He liked that his dad was the king. He liked that he was the youngest brother and had no responsibility. He was a spoiled brat. He was an entitled mindset. He did not know how to run anything. That was a Shibabeth. Anyways, on to the battle. I'll get there. I'll get there. I promise. So when we see verse 8, Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken the Shibabeth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Manaheim. Man, Manaheim, Mana, Mana, Manhattan, I don't know. He made him king. So this is in the last two years uh, of the seven years. So David has been ruling now for, for five years. So has Abner. So he, Abner was probably under a lot of pressure to not be in charge anymore. The, the nation of, of Israel, the northern tribes, were probably starting to pressure him. Like, listen, you look like you're king. You look like you're trying to stay king. Like, what's wrong with anointing the next king so that we have a king? Because right now we look like we're just a bunch of terrorists running around, like guerrilla warfare. And that's not a good look. Like, nobody respects that. We need a king. We need a ruler. So he had been probably hearing that for the last five years, and eventually he gave in, and he and he gives Ashibabeth, the son of Saul, kingship. So Ashibabeth was the son of Saul. For, he was 40 years old, and he reigned for two years. That's why we know that it happened in the last couple of years of the seven-year reign of David over Hebron. So that's mentioned in verse 11. So Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ashibabeth, son of Saul, left Manahem and went to Gibeon. And Joab, now Joab is another awesome character, not necessarily an awesome guy all the time, but he's an awesome character. And David's men went out to meet them at the pool of Gibeon. So Gibeon is literally, well, okay, literally, it is pretty close to halfway between Manahem and David's uh, and Hebron. And one group sat on one side of this pool, this pond, and the other group sat on the other side. And so here we got two generals. Abner, who is, who is overseeing an army that is depleting it's it's not doing well right because we saw that in the first verse of chapter three where it says the house of david is increasing and the house of uh, saul is decreasing there's there's a lack of unity in saul's camp there's a lack of of passion there's a lack of direction ashibabeth is a horribly weak spoiled uh indecisive leader Abner knew this, which is why he tried to maintain control for at least for the last five years. But under pressure, he pushes Shibabeth in as king. Shibabeth says, yes, let's go to war with David. He makes a decision. Abner's like, okay, good. Let's do this. 
and they and they go to war. Jo, Joab, Joab's an amazing general, right? He's an amazing general, and he has several brothers, uh, two brothers, Abishai and Azarel. Now these guys, these these three sons, come from David's sister. So Joab would call David his uncle. They come. They they they're all brothers. They all serve in the military. They're all really well trained. They're probably all variously positioned as commanders under their firstborn brother, under the oldest brother, Joab. So David has family here. He has family connections. Joab's loyalty is tight. These three brothers are not known. And well, they're they're known for a lot of things, but generally speaking in history, they're known to obey David's command to a point and then getting caught up in the moment and doing something in addition or maybe specifically doing something that David told them not to do. <laughs> but if you remember, uh, one of them, Abishai, right? I think he was the one who went with David when they snuck up on Saul and he wanted to run Saul through with the spear and David was like, no. Because David's plan, I think David, I'm not sure it was a like a legit strategic plan written out, but I think in David's mind, this could, you know, if we don't kill him but show that we could have killed him, it could work out to our advantage. And, and it did. So, these, these brothers are all involved in this story. So Abner sends a message over to Joab. So when they camp out on both sides of this pool, it's this is, this is typical because you're trying to show the other side how big your army is. You're trying to intimidate a little bit, and you also know you're going to negotiate a little bit. So Abner sends over a message, and he says, let's, uh, let's get one-on-one fights hand-to-hand in front of us. All right, Joab says, let's do it. Both guys believe they have, they have, uh, you know, really good one-on-one competition. This is like MMA fighting. These are like, these guys are, are jacked. They have practiced. They have that mentality of, you know, I will take you on and I will rip your throat out. Like, I don't care what it takes. They just have that warrior mentality. This is really fun. These guys were were out for blood, and basically they were told by their generals, I'm going to let you go for it. I'm going to let you go for blood. So they're pretty jacked. And, and they counted them off, 12 men for the tribes of Benjamin and 12 for David. Now, the, this whole battle... This whole one-on-one battle. This was this was uh, very similar to what Rome would do later with the with the gladiators. They made it into a sport, but the battle was was the same. You would you would stand across from your opponent, and then you would you would uh, you would you know the 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 signal would be given, and your job was to kill the person across from you. Like that takes. That kind of face-to-face combat is stuff that can't be, it can't be imagined unless you're there. Like I could try to describe it, but the emotions have to be so intense because you not only have the the survivor mentality when you're standing there. Like I have to, I, it's life or death. If I don't kill this guy, I will be dead. But then you also have to be willing to kill a guy, which from what I understand because I've never done it. It's something that sticks with you. It's it's not something you walk away from. There's there's a there's a hardening that occurs when 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 you take the life of someone. You you become a different person. There's a part of you. Some say part of you dies, as well. Some say part of you know part of you comes to life, depending on what your mentality is. It's it's harsh. It's a harsh thing emotionally. So these 12 guys are like legit killers. They wouldn't be in this battle one-on-one if they weren't like legit killers. 
So they go at it, and it, it the way the verse reads, you make it sounds like this thing lasted 10 seconds. Each man grabbed the opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they all fell down together. I don't think it happened quite that fast, but basically everyone had the same move. You, you get a hold of the guy behind the back of the neck, or you grab the back of his hair, and you stab him like a lunatic, you know, in the rib cage and in the heart and in the stomach and wherever you can, wherever you can stab him. And pretty much everybody did that. It had to be gruesome, just gruesome to watch. The battle was, I, 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 oh, like you don't die quickly. When you're in hand to hand combat, you don't have a long sword. So these stabbings had to be legit over and over and over again. And the, and the turning of everybody and the blood spilling out on the ground and turning it to like a mud and the dust still kicking up a little bit and the, and the dripping down of the blood down the legs and the dirt sticking to the legs and to the chest and to the face and, and the growling and the screaming and the, and the anger and the passion, all of this going on and the, and slowly like people falling to their knees and, and continuing to be stabbed, but still stabbing and maybe stabbing in the leg, and the and the next person falls on their knees, and these and the guys just continue to do this this death dance, this dance of death around and around and falling and and getting lower to the ground and more blood on the ground and 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 by the end of this, I'm guessing 15, 20 minutes, like the they're surrounded by their by their warrior brothers the. Uh, they, they're watching it. They're cheering them on. They're they're calling it out. They're they're pointing. You know, you're cheating. He cheated. No, no, you didn't. And, and oh man, they're getting more and more angry as their brothers are are falling and dying and not able to get back up. And this continues. You know, you're down to 11, 11 pairs, and then ten, and then nine, and then eight, and then you know seven and six fall at the same time. And and pretty soon there's just two guys left that are. St- that are just in this last throes of life and and everybody's waiting for which one who's you know is they're, they're both stabbed they're both not going to last long but each side is hoping that their guy will will be able to stand up that the other te- other guy will will stay down but both sides are stabbing i imagine you know i kind of picture that Last desperate stab. You're, they're both on their backs. They're both heavy breathing. Their hearts are giving out. Their their minds are are racing. They both know that they're going to die. They also have this intense mindset of I have to kill the person behind you know beside me, and they're trying to stab each other one more time to try and be the one who who is victorious. Who wins it for all of their nation, or, you know, for all of their brother, well, I guess their nations, their tribes at least. Who wins it for their brothers? And they both give up. They both lie there and they both die at the same time. So there was only one thing to do if everybody's dead, and that was to go to battle. So the battle, it says, was very fierce that day. Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by David's men. Well, they were defeated in open battle. And the three sons of of, of uh, David's sister there, Joab and, and uh, Abishai and Azarel, of those three, the youngest one, it says, was fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. So I picture his his body type to be slightly different than that of Joab and probably Abishai. I picture them to look more more uh, brutal in the way that they presented. They they had broad shoulders and a and large chest muscles and a six pack. Uh, they had big thighs, uh, large biceps, triceps. Like they they looked like an MMA fighter. Azrael although he looked very much in shape, probably looked more like um, 
more like a, a tight end on a football team. Maybe a, or maybe a wide receiver, probably a wide receiver on a football team. He definitely looked in shape. He definitely was was chiseled. But his his physical design was that of a uh, for running, and he could run fast. To be fleet-footed like a gazelle, man, that's that's quite a description. I mean, that's gazelles gazelles are they are fast and agile. They can turn on a dime. You see that. Many times, if you watch any YouTube videos about it, right, the lion is right on their right on their tail, and the gazelle just turns and and keeps going, and the lion like completely wipes himself out trying to make the corner, and he looks up and the gazelle's a hundred yards away, and it's like, oh, forget it, I'm too tired now. So, Azrael is known for that kind of thing, and he sees Abner. So what it means is when the when the tribe of Israel had lost the battle, they all started to run. Well, Joab commands his people to go after them. Azarel, who's a commander and doing battle, just like David did, doing battle in the battle, looks up and he sees Abner, who probably was standing off in the distance. Abner starts to run. He's like, I can catch him. So he takes off. He literally takes off. He leaves his weapons of war behind him. He leaves his sword behind him. He leaves everything so he can run fast. He takes off running. Abner looks around. Like, Azarel's speed is so well known that even Abner knows who he is. And he looks behind him and he he yells, Azarel, is that you? It is. (laughs) Abner's, Abner's gauging his success rate at this point. He's running. He looks behind him. He sees he sees this guy catching him. He sees this guy gaining on him. And he's thinking, man, there's only one guy that I can't outrun probably in the whole nation of all the tribes. And it's Azrael. Nobody can outrun this guy. But he like, uh, I picture him, whatever, weaving, turning, trying to any, 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 he's close enough to yell at him. And he's like, is that you? And he's like, yes, it is. Oh no, he's thinking, this is not good. I like I need to I need a different I, I sorry. I need a different defense than just running because Azarel will get me. So he says, uh turn turn away. You know, turn to the right, turn to the left. Take take on one of the young men. Strip him of his weapons. He's like, come on, like, don't come after me. Take on somebody who's who's younger, somebody who has, you know, weapons of warfare, something you can plunder. I've got like, please, please don't kill me. That's pretty much what he's saying. And Abner warned him again. Stop chasing me. I will kill you. I why why should I kill you? How would that look to your brother Joab? To, in the, how, how can I look at him in the face? Because negotiations happened. Like these guys knew each other. They knew each other before the Civil War. They had probably battled together under the command of David. This was not, you know, this was, it's kind of like any elite athlete. They all kind of know each other. If you've ever played sports, even even at a small level, you start to know the other teams that are in your in your travel squads where you do battle, so to speak. You, or or if you played in high school and you played you play the same conference every year, so you get to know each other. You know the good guys. You know uh, you know when they show up. You watch a warm up. Like that would be Abner and and Joab. They knew each other. They knew each other's families. And Abner's like, please don't, like, if I kill you, like, how in the world could I ever negotiate with your brother again? There's the chance of peace between our families when when I kill you is, like, it's going to be pretty small because families always want just, just desserts. They always want eye for an eye. But Azurel refused to give up. So Abner figured out a way a way to attack him. Abner figured out a way to to defend himself. And he and it says he put the butt of his spear into Azrael's stomach. 
and the spear came through his back. Uh, the butt end of a of a spear isn't very pointy. And it and it says that when he fell there and died on that spot, every man stopped when they came to where Azrael had fallen. Like it was this this happened. I I can't help that somehow somewhere in in Abner's mind when when Azrael's behind him, he's thinking. He, I mean, clearly he knows I. I have to kill him or he or he won't stop. But maybe there's a way I could stop him without killing him. I think that's why he put the butt end of his spear into and uh Azrael. I think at some level he was trying maybe he was going for the chest, uh thinking it wouldn't go through him. Maybe he was trying to knock him out, maybe he was just trying to stop him long enough, knock the bruise him, injure him. Make put him in a place where he couldn't breathe, where his ribs were broken. Like there's a lot of ways to go about this as to why you wouldn't use the pointy end of your spear. It's not like it's to a trained warrior spinning the spear around and shoving the pointy end into somebody is not that difficult to do. So the fact that it the story makes it clear, the scripture makes it clear that he used the butt end of the spear. I think that's really important. That at some level Abner wanted some form. Of, of deniability he wanted to be able to to injure azrael and if 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 for some reason it did kill him he wanted to be able to describe it to joab and be able to say i i really i really tried not to i didn't want to do it but the speed of azrael and maybe maybe because he saw abner stopping maybe he put another little punch into his into his uh you know, into his top speed, he came at him and maybe he wanted to, I I picture Azrael looking to tackle Abner. He wanted to take him out. He wanted to hit him so hard that, you know, Abner would be airborne and they would both land on the ground at the same time. You can picture it if you've ever watched a movie of this kind of thing. Like he wanted to hit him at such a high rate of speed and he was closing in. He was close enough that what Abner did was basically jam the front end of his of his spear into the ground and and just leave the back end of his spear up because i have a feeling Azrael was already airborne when Abner realized this 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 is not going to end well so he just put his spear up and i think it went right i mean well not i think it says it went right through him it went into his stomach and came out of his back so it hit the soft tissue, and I think it probably went right through his heart, but it, it went through in such a way that it also came through his back. It ripped him wide open, and it he, he died on the spot. That's why I think it, it hit his heart. And, and every man stopped, basically as Israel's tribe is running away. Azrael had probably passed them all as well as Abner because that's why I believe Abner was off on the off in the distance. He was already behind his men when his men were in battle. So his men are scattered, clearly have lost the battle. Abner starts to run, Azrael chases him. He passes the whole tribe of Israel. Like he's so far on the other side that if he had killed Abner, well, they probably would have left him alone, but theoretically, they could have surrounded him and killed him. Like, he he was at such high risk, but he was so fast. He had such confidence in his speed. Like, this is ridiculous what he did. But he gets there, and he, he dies on the spot. And it says, every man stopped. They, like, no one could believe it. No one could believe that Azrael died because, because he was so fast. He couldn't be caught. Like all, all he would have had to do was turn and run again. Nobody could have caught him. It was, it was pretty intense. The respect they had for him and the amazement of his speed made every man stop and look at where he had fallen. So word gets back to jo- Joab and Abishai, the two brothers, and the sun was setting, and they continued to pursue Abner. The rest of the day, they were after him. Now they were they weren't as fast as as uh, Azrael, so they were kind of battling their way through the various individuals that that were waiting and and lying in wait and and 
and trying to protect Abner, trying to get back to uh, you know their capital city, trying to put an end to the pursuit, which you know the battle was lost. Now it's just a matter of mopping things up and keeping people on the run and trying to defeat them in such a way that they won't ever come back. And Abner sees a hill and he gets to the hill and he gets all the way to the top of it. And the men of Benjamin were able to rally around him. So there's probably a banner slash flag that's, that Abner has. He gets it up there. People from the tribe of Benjamin, the warriors know, rally to the flag. They start running toward the hill. They're gathering on the hill. They're, they're forming a defensive line around Abner. And Joab and Abishai are coming with their men, and maybe not all of them, but if you got a centralized place that the enemy's running to, you're also running there. So the, the tribe of Judah and their men are starting to gather around the hill as well. And things calm down. There's a moment of, of quiet. Because Joab and, Ab- and uh, Abishai are putting together kind of a plan there at the bottom of the hill. They're looking up at the hill. Clearly, the advantage is to the Benjamites and to Abner. They know they know this probably won't end well, but they're, but Abner killed their brother. So this is family now. This is this is hardcore. Joab is headstrong. He's independent. He's he's weighing the the ramifications of his next choice. And they are they they're debating. And Abner calls out to him. He's like, "Do we have to be at war forever? This is all going to end bad." How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brothers? He's Abner's Abner's being true to being a warrior, but also trying to be a bit of a diplomat. He's like, all right, listen, you won the battle. We get that. You've been pursuing us now all day. The sun is setting. You've killed a bunch of us. I get it. Are you going to continue to pursue? I mean, look at where you're at. Look at where you're at. We have the advantage we have formed. Uh, the Bible says they they had you know um, they had formed themselves into a group. In other words, they they you know they were probably piled up piling up rocks or digging trenches. They were forming a you know c- circles of of defense. This was not going to end well. And that's what Abner's saying. Look at look at Joab. Just take a minute. You're a wise commander. Look at what's happening here. Do you really want to continue this? You've, you've won the day. Do you want to die tonight? How long will you tell how long are you going to do this? Because we all know that we're related. Let's remember that. okay we, we're trying to win this battle for our kings, but we all know we're related. You've done your job. And Joab answers, he says, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, I would have continued pursuing you all night. We would have done battle on this hill all night. In other words, we would have I would have rather died like if you hadn't taken the moment to talk, if you hadn't said anything, I was in a mentality of all night. We we we're not stopping to avenge my my brother's death. Oh, for sure. I would die. So that's interesting. He agreed because he is a wise commander. So Joab blows the trumpet and all the men came to a halt. He's like, all right, guys, we won the battle. We're not going to fight anymore uh, today, so let's go home. And they didn't, literally, this is the this is the last battle. Because when Joab, uh, all that night, Abner's men, they they march through they they get across the Jordan they get all the way back to their hometown with Ishibabeth there waiting for them and Joab returned from pursuing Abner and assembled all his men besides Azrael 
and 19 of David's men were found missing. So David lost 20 guys, but they had killed 360 Benjamites. And they took Azrael, they took his body, and they buried him in the tomb at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron at daybreak. So basically, after they had agreed not to pursue the men of Israel, they they left, they picked up the body of Azrael, and they carried it to the hometown of Bethlehem. They buried him there, and then they marched all night, which they probably got to Bethlehem at night. They do the burial, and then they march all night to go back to Hebron to, re, to tell David about their victory, because it was a pretty good victory. They killed over 300 men. Now, remember, Abner's been trying to defeat David for better part of, of five-plus years, and he can't do it. And David keeps getting stronger. David lost 20 men, one commander. It was uh, it was it was bad, but clearly David's men had the upper hand. They had they understood what was going on. But I tell you this whole story. There's not like a deep spiritual meaning in all this. I don't think. I mean, I'm sure you can draw some. But this is what civil war does. It pits you know brother against brother. You wipe out really good people. And this only happens because Abner won't let go of power. He could have just, they could have just brought David in and crowned him king. But Abner wanted power. Abner wanted control. And I'm sure he controlled Ashibabeth. Ish was not a strong leader. Abner was. And he had the military. And everyone knew he had the military. And so if Abner wanted to, he could just kill Ish. But he wanted the, the puppet. He wanted somebody up there because that that kept the, the politicians happy. There was a king. We had a king. And he came from the line of Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin. Woohoo! When people want power and control, they will often go into civil war to keep it. I've seen it happen on smaller scales, in church splits, in ministry divisions. I've seen it happen in businesses, small businesses, large businesses, corporations have been toppled because people in power want to keep power. They don't work things out. They don't build relationship. They're building control. Abner was very much like his uncle Saul. He understood power. He understood control. He understood fear. And that's how he led. And that's the end result. You end up in battle. And you end up losing good people because of it on both sides. Anyway, that's the story. It sets us up for a really fun time in Chapter 3. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.